the beauty about any thought is that you can change it. You can adjust it. You can revise it. You can accept it. You can reject it. And so when we stop giving power and voice to the, the negative things we think about ourselves, then you really show up for yourself and then you really feel like you belong. So lots of celebrations today. Uh, new moon of Scorpio. This month has a bad rap and so does everybody born under this sign. I happen to love Scorpion people. <laughs> I'm rising Scorpio. Um, but it is a month of extremes and we tend to see things in terms of black and white. And there's an opportunity tonight and for this whole month to be able to challenge ourselves to not accept that kind of it's either good or bad, positive or negative, black or white. And everything we're going to talk about tonight supports that idea. We know also Kabbalistically we refer to the month of Scorpio as Mar Cheshvan, which means bitter. And we have the opportunity tonight and in this month to reverse that order, Mar Taram, which means exalted or elevated. So it's really about elevating our thoughts, our consciousness, and our ability to see gifts through our biggest challenges. Would you like to add anything? Oh, also, I didn't say welcome to Spiritually Hungry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to start with the Abigail's? You want to say anything about Scorpio? Oh, well, the one thing I will, I will share is that our son, David, spends a lot of time watching my father, the Rav's videos, and he reminded us of a, a, a quote that the Rav, my father, said about this month of Scorpio, and specifically, by the way, this evening into tomorrow, which, not coincidentally, is actually my mother's Hebrew birthday as well. And the Rav said that this is, as far as drawing blessings and light, the most powerful day of the year. So it's probably not a coincidence that we're coming here together to celebrate both the launch of the gift of being different and the new moon and new month of Scorpio. This is a night and a day into tomorrow to ask, as we say in Kabbalistically, the gates are open, which means anything that you truly need, anything that you truly want to ask for, this is the time to do it. And also just speaking about that, the, the idea of, of something being all of this or all that, all good or all bad, nothing is really 100% anything ever, right? So I think that if we can really reframe our thinking around that idea, like our biggest challenges, the things that we're sure we can't change, this is the month to be able to, this is the month you want to challenge that limited way of thinking. For sure. So tonight we have a very special guest. Woo! Little Miss Abigail Berg, and I have to applaud her on, um, I was not that brave at nine at her eight, when I was her age. It's not easy to come out and speak and show you, and I'm, I'm so proud of you, and you inspire me all the time. So, as you know, Abigail's my co-creator in uh, writing The Gift of Being Different, and it is a book that we hope will inspire children and also adults to reframe the things that they feel most maybe ashamed of or the parts of themselves that they think that they need to hide because we feel like we need to be like everybody else, that we need to fit in. 
that we need to be accepted or we're going to be unhappy. And through Abigail's diagnosis of dyslexia, we were really able to reframe what a difference looks like and also bring light to the truth that everybody is different. And when we really accept that and we really honor that idea, we remove fear, we remove judgment, and we're able to embrace all of the uniqueness that everybody has to offer. I know personally, I would be very bored living in a world where we are all the same or we try to be the same. I find that really, really unfulfilling and really boring. So I love this idea, obviously. I love this concept, I love this subject. And um, yeah, so we're going- Yeah, I would just say before, we, Abigail has a few questions for Monica and I. Before we begin with the questions, I wanna applaud Monica and Abigail, of course, but, you know, in life, and this is maybe one of the most important differences of living a spiritual life, we all have challenges. We all have had challenges, will have challenges, have experienced challenging times. And I think it's a, a real testament to somebody who's living a life of growth and, and that is dedicated to the spiritual path, that when challenges come, it's not a difficulty to be overcome, but rather an opportunity to grow tremendously from. And I remember in this process, from the moment that, that Abigail was diagnosed with dyslexia, and up until the writing, the designing, the publishing of the book, only somebody, at least to my estimation, like, like Monica, would take, again, a challenge and both create, as we will share, Monica will share a little bit later, really an opportunity, not just for, for Monica and for Abigail, but really for, for the world, for so many other people who come hopefully to realize that it is those things about us, and every single one of us has them, that are not as everybody else, or not typical to everybody else, because nobody is typical to anybody else, and we all have those aspects of ourselves that are different, that those are most probably the ones for which we came into this world to both make shine and assist the world with them. You know, it's interesting because... I think, I mean, and I'm going to go into it more, but I'm so inspired by our kids. But I'm also very curious about people's process and human nature and experience, right? And I I was really, I, I mean, those of you who know me, I take things very um, seriously. I don't take myself very seriously, but I take life very seriously in terms of living the life you're meant to and really making your mark. And I really appreciate how much time we have in this world, and I don't take that for granted. So being able to reframe the things that happened in my childhood that were painful for me, and whenever I've seen a hint of that for our children, it's always empowered me to say, okay, right away, like let's get on this, because it took me until I was well into my 30s to really get to that place of self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, and and look at all of those things as really beautiful gifts. So, alrighty, Abigail. Okay. Do you have any questions for us? Yes, you I do. have a couple. Okay. So first, when did you feel like you didn't belong? Assuming that you felt that. Way. I have felt that. I have felt that. <laughs> so uh, the truth is that you know most of my childhood, I felt that I didn't belong. And I think, I think that's a, I would assume it's a common feeling. You know, many of us know that I grew up. It is, up, isn't it? Yeah. I grew up often traveling. You know, we, we, my parents were 
in the early days of trying to create what is now the Kabbalah Center, and we would travel a lot, and um, always new schools, always new schoolmates, I was going to say friends, but not necessarily. And um, I think one of the gifts, and maybe this is, Abigail, something you felt as well, is that while I did not feel necessarily a part of the schoolmates that I was with at any given time, or the environment that I was in, I always felt a strong connection to my family. And I think for me that, you know, you don't think of these things when you're a child, but maybe when you're old, you have the, the, the ability to look back, that I think because of the love that I felt within our family, not having friends, feeling different than everybody else that I was going to school with, didn't affect me as much. What makes you feel, well, what you guys, what makes you feel different from other people? I'm sure there's a lot of things. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think growing up, and certainly until I got married in my early 20s, I noticed differences, and I noticed all the ways that I was opposite from other people. And I would compare, maybe that's better, maybe what I'm doing is worse. Uh, I felt a lot of negative things around that. And I think now I don't focus on the differences, I only see the commonalities, the similarities. And so I don't know what's different, because I'm not looking at that and I'm not looking for it. I'm really looking for ways of connection and showing up for others and recognizing and appreciating how they show up for me. So yeah, I don't feel that different because I think we're all different. I think when you don't, I think the beauty of the question is if you, if we never ask that question anymore, we won't see it even. Do you have any other questions? Yeah. All right. Who was a person who like made you feel, besides like each other, who made you feel like you belonged? <laughs> I love that you know that, by the way, besides each other. Who made us feel like we belonged? Well, nobody could really quite do that. Of course, it's true. Your father did. But it does, I hope. Also, no, but, <laughs> and you made me feel that way before I really owned that for myself. And I don't think that anybody can make you feel like you belong. I think it's something you have to learn to do for yourself. I think each person has to learn to love themselves enough and appreciate their most difficult parts of their life or the package they came in the world with or their difficulties. And in doing that, then you really feel like you're showing up for yourself and then belonging is hand in hand with that. What about you? So I would say for me, it was, um, like I said, you're growing up in, in an environment and moving so often, uh, not having you know, a group of friends that I grew up with. I think for me, it was really my parents, but maybe more importantly, the Rav, my father, that, you know, we spent early childhood, you know, really moving around, but also a, a little bit later studying together. And for me, I often say this, but, you know, from about the age of 12 or 13, we would study with the, with the Rav, with my father, from about 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. almost every night. And... For me, that was the only connection that I needed. And then, I, yes, I would go you know, to school and I would study. But for me, it was those moments of belonging that were the most powerful. And for me, it was in that, sort of in our home, in the middle of the night, studying together, that made me feel that I have my place. And then even if I went out into the world and did other things, important things, I always came back to what I would call my place. 
And by the way, just a tip, the way that I was able to finally show up for myself is I challenged my thoughts. I challenged the way that I thought about myself. And I realized and was able to recognize the negative thoughts that I had about me. And the beauty about any thought is that you can change it. You can adjust it. You can revise it. You can accept it. You can reject it. And so when we stop giving power and voice to the the negative things we think about ourselves, then you really show up for yourself and then you really feel like you belong. Next question. If you could tell your nine-year-old self anything, what would it be? Well, I would say to all the bullies well, out there. Well, first, first of all, <laughs> Monica, uh, Mir- Abigail, what would you tell your nine-year-old self? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, that was a joke. <laughs> Obviously, it was not a very funny joke. It was just a joke. Uh, no, it was certainly lost on the, most of us. But <laughs> Abigail's nine years old. That was, that was the joke. But you've interrupted me. What was I saying? <laughs> all the bullies. You started saying all the yes. bullies. The, um, I mean, that was hard. It's hard to hear really negative things that, that feel so real but don't make sense. And I would say that for every mean thing that was ever said to me or every hurtful thing that I experienced that it really wasn't about me. I just happened to be next to them and that their pain and where they were at was so overwhelming and all consuming that all they could do was take it out on me. So I, I wish I knew that at nine and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and to really know that, you know, not to, not to be so hard on myself because I was picked on. It's hard to believe, right? <laughs> I was going to say I, I didn't even know that to be. What were you going to say? Well, there was one bully, There's one some... specific. She oh, really? I so want to hear mean. that story. Oh my god! You know what's interesting, Abigail? And it's funny because I'm working on another book, and I remembered the story. So she, she really, this girl terrorized me from. I don't think I know this story. Uh, yeah, you know, because I just we moved from New Orleans to Beverly Hills. Things were okay, kind of third, fourth grade, and then fifth through through seventh grade, this girl, I just, we were friends at first and I never really liked her. She kind of scared me a bit, but she was popular and she, I mean, I don't even know. That's the other thing. Like, why did I give her space in my life at that time? So then she started to call me names, horrible names by my locker. Then it spread to other kids. And I never pieced why that was until I started writing this book two months ago. We were friends and she'd come over again. She was always a mean person. She was. There's mean girls. She was mean. But then it turned sideways. And I realized that her father actually was very flirtatious with my mom when she picked me up from her house. And her mom didn't like that. I'm honestly, I love you, mom. You didn't do anything wrong. It was the father. (laughs) But but the mother, I remember one day, one day I caught the mother's eye and she was angry and whatever. And the next day that girl, she had it out for me. So, you know, and I didn't know that then. And I wish obviously I wouldn't have known that at that age, but then it all made sense. And it's okay. You know, she felt bad for her mom. Can I blame her? She didn't pick on me, but you know, you teach me, well, this specifically tomorrow. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you teach me all the time. Do you think that other parents can learn from their children? Absolutely. And I think that sometimes parents think that they need to have a specific role and just be the teacher to their children. And I think that's true to a certain point. But children very much come into our lives to teach us as well. 
And all four of you, you and your siblings, are my inspiration always. I love seeing the way you view the world and the way you navigate it and seeing life through your eyes constantly inspires me. And I've shared this story before, but our oldest son, David, remember we had dinner once and he said, all of a sudden, he said, what do you think my worst character trait is to the whole table? And I was like, oh my God, in my mind, I'm thinking, I hope everybody's nice in their responses. And then I was overwhelmed by my desire to be more like him because I, I don't ask that question. I mean, I'll probably get it anyway and I'll hear it. But I was so inspired that he could demolish his ego so completely and put himself out there. So I think that if we're really doing this parenting thing right, it's less what we can teach. Of course, we want to help our children navigate, but also to pay attention to how they can change us and help us grow and be different and better. All four of you, you often do things and I'm like, oh, I, I wouldn't do it that way, but that's really awesome. I'm going to try it. I have a question. So if you cast, like, is there anything for your children that you, if you wanted to ask them, like, just, like, is there anything you would think that they weren't, like, like, or do you think you have a very close relationship with all your children? Like, do you ever think there's something that, like, like, do you ever think it's similar to this question? I love that she's doing off script. Yeah, by That's the way, awesome. Okay, <laughs> yes, I want to hear your question. But like, like with saying like you can learn from your kids, like it's like in a way like because you know that obviously you can't like just like trust your kids to be the adult always. So how do you know? <laughs> not always. <laughs> so then, how do you know the right times you should listen to them or not? Good question. Good question, Abs. That was not in the script, by the way. You know, it's a great question. And I think that if as a human being, forget about a parent, but if a person's being honest with themselves, like David with the with removing his ego, if I if I if you said something, even if you showed me a different way that I didn't see it first, if I'm really being honest with myself, I'll allow myself to see it. And it's not about you being a parent or a child, it's about an exchange. It's about a conversation and a connection. And we're all blind to certain things. There's certain things I'll be able to see that you can't see just about how many years I've been in this world or my life experience. And then there's other things with a child's innocence and curiosity and purity that you'll be able to say something maybe that you didn't even intend that is exactly what I needed to hear or that I couldn't have seen myself. And that's why in every relationship, sadly, most people say, okay, I can only learn from that person that's my teacher. I can only learn from that one friend that I've given permission to tell me things I need to change. But the truth is, in this world, we're all meant to learn from everybody. And if we assign labels or we assign that, again, only certain people can teach us, then we're not going to get what we need to. That's a bummer. <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> I just want to say, I think both the question was great and also Monica's answer. And I think... It's a very, very important point that, you know, often as parents, by the way, this is true not just about parents, this is true about any relationship that we have, especially the ones that we think that we're the smarter one, the better one, whatever those titles are, that one of the most important spiritual abilities is, as it says in the writings of the Kabbalists, you should be able to learn from every single person, which means that no matter the situation or your position, if somebody says something to you, you should actually be desiring 
for them to be teaching you and for them to be showing you. And I think one of the gifts of being parents is not just the ability to teach and to to show away, but more importantly, to learn. And one of the things that I aspire to, you know, when, when you have those conversations with your kids, again, it doesn't mean they're always right, but if they're unhappy about something or there's something that they point out, to have that openness, to have that, you know, hopefully diminished ego that allows to hear. And this is both important for your relationship with your children, but also maybe more importantly for your relationship with everybody else, to really be open to to what they have to say about you, that you might not, you know, be comfortable hearing or isn't the best aspect of you, but being open to that is what allows you to really grow. And create closeness. Yeah. Maybe our next book should be called The Gift of Being Parents. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Next question. One more? Yeah. I'm trying to think, see the one I really want to you to answer. How do you think we are different? Well, you can also mean like, just like us two, or us two. How do you answer that one first? How are we different? Yeah, like both of us, maybe one of us. How are me and you different? Yeah. Or are you and mom? I don't well, know. me and you different. I hope not in very many ways, I have to be honest. How are we different? That's a good question. I would say that one of the things that I really appreciate about you is that you're very, very compassionate, which means when you see somebody going through challenges, you're always trying to find a way to, to help. And, um, I would say, I don't know if we're different, but one of the things that I really want to learn from you is that ability and that desire to always, when you see somebody who's going through a difficult time, to always find ways that you can be helpful to them. I mean, I know there's a, a friend of yours that we know who lost a father, and I know that, I mean, once you heard that about her, from that moment, you decided she was going to be your best friend, and that you were going to be her best friend. So I think for me, that, that desire that hopefully always grows to see somebody who's in pain or see somebody who's going through a difficult time and finding ways, new ways all the time to help them and be there for them. Yeah, I would add the same thing. You're incredibly empathetic. And I remember that you drew a picture for that girl and you wanted to bring her different things every day. And I was like, does she like this? You're like, I don't know. I just want to make her happy. <laughs> you just, you have this beautiful ability to, to really see people, really see them fully and no judgment, just accepting and wanting to make them happy and feel good. It's a beautiful gift. Thank you, Abigail. Yes. We want to rethink and reframe the beliefs that we have, the limited ones, the ones that tell us that we can only be a certain thing or that we're not enough or that we see our challenges as weaknesses and really be able to change them to what they truly are, which is an opportunity. So for instance, often we believe a vulnerability is a weakness or I never get anything I want. If I want something done correctly, I have to do it myself, right? We have all these ideas and beliefs that we come in the world with that help us navigate life that really actually wreak havoc and chaos in our lives because they stop us. They completely limit us, right? This one thing happened to me and therefore I can't do X, Y, and Z. 
So I would say it's interesting. It reminded me there's a story of um, a friend of ours that we know. Many years ago, he was in. He was uh, very successful in investment banking, and then he went out to do to work on his own. And a very well-known, wealthy person gave him a significant amount of money as his seed capital. And long story short, after very few months, he had, it was a very large sum of money. He had lost about thirty percent of it, and he was obviously very disappointed, upset. And he went back to his funder, the person who gave him that very large sum of money. And he says, you know, I'm very sorry. You know, I just lost all this money for you, 30% of a very large sum of money. And he said to me, he says, you know what? I'd rather you spend the next years focusing on the 70% of the money that you still have and how to invest <laughs> it, rather than spending your time being upset and disappointed about the 30% that you lost. And the lesson, of course, is that all of us have those parts of us that make us different. All of us also have those parts of us that we think aren't as they should be, aren't the best. Spiritually, we know that where we focus our attention, where we focus our energy, is what will grow. So if a person spends a lot of their time focusing on their challenges or the things that make them maybe not as great as everybody else, then that allows those parts of them to grow. Whereas, if a person spends their time on the parts of them that are, we'll call, perfected, or better, or allows them to grow, that's what will allow them to become a person who can really influence the world and others in a positive way. And I think when we talk about a superpower, which is really what the book is about, and what this evening is about, I think a part, of, a very large, important part of it, is making sure that we focus on the better parts of ourselves. We all have, and science tells us this, a negativity bias. This natural predisposition of the mind to focus on the things that aren't as they should be. Whereas if we focus on those parts of us that are as our superpower, that are the parts that make us and give us the ability to bring great light into this world, then that part will grow. So when we think about what is our superpower, when we think about what will allow us to truly bring great light into our own lives and into the world, make sure that we spend the time focusing on the 70%, those parts of us that can truly create change in this world. Well, here's the thing. Most people focus on the 30%, and I can tell you that I had a very um, not fantastic math teacher in the fourth grade, and he was, he really, I don't even know why he was teaching. He clearly hated the job. And I remember thinking that, honestly, maybe it was the fifth grade. And he had me sitting right in front of his desk and he picked on me relentlessly every single day. And I hate math to this day, right? But more than that, I thought I was stupid well into my 20s. And I just didn't think that I was very academic or intellectual. And I allowed that one experience to really shape the many years that followed that until I realized, no, actually, I can just string a thought together. I mean, it was really, like, he really chipped away at me. I can't blame him, but it's a testament to how negative beliefs, especially, can have such a hold on us. I gave a talk here when Rethink Love came out, and we were talking about shame and the shame of wanting. And this woman did a workshop, and she got up and shared the story that really, I mean, tore me apart. It was the time when... Michael Jackson was the king of pop, and Billie Jean came out, and you know everybody remembers the glitter glove, right? 
And everybody of a certain age, I would say. You always say that, and every time you do that, you try to make me feel old. It's not no, 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 no. Of a very young age. Yeah, is what everybody I'm knows Michael Jackson and the glove. Does not? Does everybody know Michael Jackson? Children, do you guys know? Of course, the glove. Even our ch- kids yes, do. Yes, okay, I'm keep sorry. that old stuff to yourself. <laughs> so she had a ballet class, and everybody was to bring something that they really felt connected to. And so, you know, she's like the glove. She comes in, everybody's in their leotard, and she brings out her glove. And for whatever reason, the teacher really took an offense to it and berated her in front of the other kids and said, what did you bring that for? Why are you doing that? That's silly, put it away. And she was so humiliated. She decided she was going to be a scholar, a professor, very focused, and she's really a creative person. And she said to this day, every day, she wants to write, she wants to write a book, she wants to sing, but she has to provide for her family. And she believes that if she feeds into that creative aspect for for herself, she has to choose a different life and she's gonna be ridiculed. And why? Because of that one experience with the ballet teacher that she never saw again for the rest of her life, but that really affected her. So, And in releasing this book, I've heard so many stories that are so powerful and not only from children, but also from adults, from parents that are now going back to their own childhood, thinking about the ways that they felt so different and less than, and that it was never reframed for them. One mom, her daughter started stuttering recently and she's like, I don't know how to help her. Another woman who has a hearing impediment she said I, I my where was my mother why didn't like the people it's bringing up stuff because we carry these things around so I want to share this um we're gonna bring it up on the screen also but it's a letter I got from a mom today that I've never met and um moved me to tears many 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 times today actually Thank you so much from the bottom of this mama's heart and seven-year-olds too. Brought me to tears when I read it before her and then her big sister read it to her. It really finally felt like someone else got her. Kudos to your amazing daughter for speaking up and to you for being a wonderful mom to support her. I fought many battles with our school, an IEP teacher that had the audacity to say she's extremely disabled because of her dyslexia and dysgraphia. We never stopped supporting these beautiful kids, so thank you from one mom to another. So happily, I randomly turned the news on that morning. I already told all the moms of the kids in Avery's IEP class. I'm sending it for the teacher and to read to the class again. I cried all yesterday after reading it myself and then all last night after she kept telling me and all her siblings she has a superpower. She kept saying, Mama, she's just like me. I want to thank everybody for joining tonight, all of our friends who are going to be watching this uh, recording. And uh, most importantly, we should all have the ability to transform all of our challenges and difficulties into our superpower. So thank you. Thank you for joining.